Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, it's a brand new series, but it feels strangely familiar to me. Um, For those of you who've been to New Spring since 2015, this is your first Going Pro series. But if you've been here a little longer, you know that this is actually our third Going Pro series. We did the first one in 2011. Um, It was just called Going Pro. The second one we did in 2014, it was called Going Pro 2, the playoffs. And here we are in 2021 doing Going Pro 3, uh, coached up. Now, uh, I have to tell you, interesting little story. In 2011, when we did the first Going Pro, uh, my dad was supposed to do the first week, and I ended up having to substitute for him. And he said, Jonathan, my plan is to wear a football jersey for every week of Going Pro, so you'll have to go to the sports memorabilia store and buy a football jersey. And uh, uh, he said, now, it would be nice, not absolutely necessary, but nice, if you could get a jersey where the t- there's a tie-in, like somehow it, that player or that team kind of works with your talk, it kind of fits with your talk. And so I thought, well, I'm going to need some help with that because you have to understand, I'm sure that there is some sort of genetic code for football obsession. I'm sure that like, there's some sort of way that that all, one's the human genome project, we'll figure it all out at some point, I'm sure. But, um, but the thing about it is, I didn't get it. Like my, my dad and my brothers got it. Like they got whatever the football gene is, I just don't have it. My brother asked me if I would be interested in joining a fantasy football league, which I was like, yeah, if it's in our imagination, sure, just whatever. Like, I'm just going to keep doing what I do and, and you can put me in your fantasy league all you want, you know? Um, So I go to this store to get a football jersey, knowing nothing about football, and I ask the person at the front desk, and I I explain to him, I'm a pastor of a local church, I'm preaching a sermon, I need a football jersey, and I got some really weird looks, and I had to explain to him, we're not your normal church, we're a little bit different, and once we kind of got through all of that, he said, well, we're in Wichita, so you probably want a Kansas City Chiefs jersey, they're right over here. And I said, no, wait a minute, I I might not, because... (laughs) Y'all are getting ahead of me, and that's not good. I, I said, my, this talk that I'm doing in Going Pro, it's called Training Camp, and it's for, like, if you have, like, a player or a team, like, it's for people that have forgotten the fundamentals, like, the basics, like, they, they've sort of lost their way, don't know what they're doing anymore, and it's like for that player that you want to send back to training camp, like, they've already been, but you want to send them back to training camp, and he said, what you're looking for is a Kansas City Chiefs jersey, they're right over here. <laughs> That was 2011, and the guy knew what he was talking about. We were in like a 7-9 and nine season, and we're headed into like a 2-14 and 14 season. That's why I didn't tell the story at the time. It would have made a great sermon illustration, but it was too painful at the time. People would have been just crying and weeping in the auditorium, and I couldn't do it at that time. Now that we, you know, the team is where it's at, I feel like I can tell that story. Somebody told me on the way out, no, you still can't tell that story. <laughs> the pain is still real. It's still fresh. It's only 10 years ago, man. You've got to wait a little longer than that. Um, But the series Going Pro, the reason that the brand was created this way is that we're really camping out in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is really sort of like a manual for life. It's full of, if you've ever, 
you know, read the book of Proverbs, you know it's full of rapid-fire little statements. And it's amazing how much can get packed into a single sentence about how we should live our lives and how to experience success in life. And Proverbs will both tell us how to experience success and also how to recognize when we're on a path that's going to lead to failure. So Proverbs is great for that. And by the way, Proverbs is a great book to read on a regular basis. The, the number of chapters works out really well for the uh, number of days in a month. So if you read a, a chapter of Proverbs every day for the month, there'll be a few months where you have to read a little bit extra to catch up. But for most months, that'll work out just fine. But in any case, so my dad thought we could think about Proverbs as proverbs, like a verb being an action. Uh, these are things that pros do. See, we did their proverbs, proverbs. Anyway, um, so going pro, that's where that brand came from 10 years ago. And we've done different things with it over the years. But I want to kind of ground us again in why this is important and what it's going to do for us. When we talk about going pro, we're talking about becoming exceptionally successful at doing exceptionally difficult things. And isn't that the definition of what a pro is? And we could move out of professional sports and just talk about pros in sort of any area, is that a pro is somebody who they do exceptionally difficult things and they're exceptionally good at it. As a matter of fact, sometimes we make things extra difficult for pros just to show how good they are. If you play golf, you know that we put the pros on the tees that are farthest from the hole just to show off how amazing they are, right? So they're exceptionally good at exceptionally difficult things. But if we take this out of that realm and start thinking about my life and your life, isn't it true that you and I, on a daily basis, are faced with exceptionally difficult challenges? There are difficult things that we have to do, right? Being a parent is an exceptionally difficult challenge. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Being a, a good spouse is an exceptionally difficult challenge. Don't say amen to that. A lot of y'all are sitting next to your spouse. Saturday night, I warned people, don't say amen. Some still did. I'm like, well, I'm a marriage counselor, so come see me after. Uh. <laughs> but keeping your finances straight, that's an exceptionally challenging thing. Keeping your testimony in a world that's going off the rails, that's an exceptionally difficult thing. Staying focused in a world that is constantly pulling our attention in negative directions, that's a difficult thing. So, and, and here's, here's where I'm at. I don't want to be a Christian who bumps along the bottom in the middle of all these challenges. I actually want to be one of those people that is exceptionally successful even in the middle of those really big challenges. And that's why we're spending our time in the book of Proverbs. And we're actually going to do this in a, in a new way. We've never done this before in a Going Pro series. We're going to take a dual track approach to this. On the one side, we're going to use the book of Proverbs. We've done that before. And, but we're going to use it like a playbook this time. This is the strategy. This is the practical guidance, the very clear instruction for what we need to do. But in order to see it demonstrated, we are going to use the life of Joseph as an example or as a, a highlight reel. Highlight reels make me think of when I was growing up. My, my dad and my middle brother especially used to like to watch these highlight reels of the Dallas Cowboys. My father and my brother are big Dallas Cowboys fans. And uh, that lapse in judgment aside, they're good people. Um, <laughs> but back then, and this tells you how, you know, this sort of dates me, but you would get these VHS tapes and you would put the VHS tape in, it would be like a highlight reel of that team. And in order to get a highlight reel of the Dallas Cowboys, you got to get footage that's like a couple decades old. Like you really have to go back a long way, even in the nineties, like you had to reach back into the seventies to really get those great things. So anyway, my dad would say, watch this play. This play is amazing. Can you believe that pass? And I would go, dad, this happened like 25 years ago. That quarterback's probably in a nursing home at this point. You know what I mean? Like that happened a long time ago, but my dad understood how challenging that was to do. And as a result, 
looking at it, even in hindsight, it's still pretty amazing. And that's why we're looking at the story of Joseph, because if you really get grounded in how difficult Joseph's life was, and you realize what he did as he went through his life, it's still amazing. Every time you turn the page in the scripture and look at Joseph's life, it's always amazing. So we're going to look at it from those two angles. From the book of Proverbs, it's kind of giving us that practical insight. And then from the book of Genesis, when we look at Joseph and we see how it plays out in real life. Now, what is this going to do for us? What is the purpose of this? Well, the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 1, what the purpose of Proverbs is altogether. And that is that the purpose of Proverbs is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. The order here is important, disciplined and successful. Discipline, a lot of times our our idea of discipline is sort of wrapped up in child-rearing and specific discipline practices and so forth. In this case, what discipline means is the direction that you are headed in, the direction that you point yourself in, and also the direction that you point yourself away from. So discipline is pointing yourself toward the right thing and away from the wrong thing, and that's what Proverbs is about. And then success is the outflow from that. So because I point myself in the right direction and I point myself away from the wrong things, I end up with success. So that's what the goal is, and the overall purpose is to give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. So what the scripture is saying here is anybody, even somebody who is inexperienced, even somebody who did not have the benefit of having people pouring knowledge and wisdom into their life up to this point, anybody who uses the Proverbs to their benefit can turn around. They can actually experience success in areas that they have not experienced success before, and that's why we're taking these weeks to do that. Now, Proverbs is very focused on character. One of the things my daughters have heard me say so many times that I think they're probably getting bored of me saying it is, you know, there are so many things about whomever you find to marry that are inconsequential to me, but what is most important is that they are a person of character. I'm, I'm, I'm most concerned that they're a God follower, which is, the, which is not the same thing as somebody who says they're a Christian. I'm talking about somebody who's a God follower and a person of consistent character. Um, that's what I'm saying. They've probably heard me say consistent character a million times. But the reason for that is because that discipline of being a person of consistently good character predicts a good future. It predicts a successful future. As a matter of fact, Proverbs talks about character traits a ton. I took a new Bible. I had a new Bible and I didn't have any markings in it yet. I took a highlighter and I opened up the book of Proverbs and I highlighted every term in Proverbs for a kind of person. Proverbs talks about all kinds of different people. So I highlighted those. And here's what blew my mind. I ended up with over 150 terms for different kinds of people in the book of Proverbs. I mean, it's all over the place. There's an angry person, an arrogant person, a one who despises their neighbor, a good person, a gracious person, a pot stirrer, a cover-up expert, a prudent person, a quarrelsome person, one who reveres God's commands. I mean, it's all over the place. And very much like a table of elements that our chemistry professors would tell us that you could build almost anything from this table of elements, the same thing is here. This is almost like a table of character elements that you can build almost any person from these combinations of different personality traits. And Proverbs is saying it's so important that we make good decisions about the kind of person that we are. As a matter of fact, Proverbs is going to boil it all down to two main character traits. We're either a wise person or a foolish person. Say, Jonathan, that sounds kind of like labeling people, like putting people in a box that they're this kind of person. I get that. I'm, you know, I'm both a pastor and a research psychologist, so my training is that we don't, you know, we don't label people, we don't put them in a box. However, having said that, it these aren't labels; they are choices. That's what the Book of Proverbs is saying. You have a choice of what kind of person to be. 
It's not like because I have been an angry person in the past, that is, that is dictated the rest of my life is going to be that way. That is who I'm going to be. The book of Proverbs is making it very clear. I have a choice of what kind of person that I'm going to be. And Proverbs is saying, if you make the right choices about the kind of person that you're going to be, you will have the right kind of future. But if you make the wrong kind of choices about what kind of person to be, you will have a bad future. So that's what we're talking about in this message. What kind of person do I want to be? What formula is going to make up the kind of person that I am? And am I going to be a person who overall is a wise or a foolish person? Now, chances are you're saying to yourself, why wouldn't everybody be on the wise side. I mean, honestly, if you're thinking about this, and if it is a choice, why wouldn't everybody just make, make that choice? Or we could say it this way, you know, plug it into our brand for the series, why doesn't everybody choose to go pro? Well, that's what we're gonna tackle in this first talk. I'm gonna talk about the number one reason that I think that people make bad choices about the kind of person that they're going to be. And hopefully it'll be helpful and empowering to you to think about how you can make a different choice and choose who you're going to be. Now, we're going to talk about the story of Joseph. And in order to talk about Joseph, we need to kind of talk about his situation. And I need to warn you in advance, we're not going to go chronologically through the story of Joseph, which I love to do. But because we're matching it up with Proverbs, we're going to hop around quite a bit. Now, if you want to listen to a sermon series where we go chronologically through Joseph's life, we have those. So there's a series called Thrive. There's a series called Flexible. So those are out there. But we're going to hop around a little bit in this series. But in order to understand Joseph, you have to understand his family. And you need to know that Joseph, although he was a wonderful person, he was born into an extremely dysfunctional family. First off, there was one dad and four mamas. And that doesn't work. I have sometimes people come to me, Jonathan, I notice in the Old Testament, is sometimes there's, you know, there's one guy and there's multiple wives. And what's up with that? I'll tell you what's up with that. It never worked. You read the entire Old Testament, show me where it worked. It did not work. And especially in this case, it didn't work. And just to give you a little background, Joseph's dad, Jacob, met this woman as a young man. Her name was Rachel, and he was smitten with her. It's in, the Greek, it's in the Hebrew, excuse me. You have to look really closely. But in the Hebrew, it says she was smoking hot, right? <laughs> and he was absolutely taken with her. And he says, I have to marry this woman. And so he makes a bargain with her dad that he'll work seven years for her before he can marry her, which he does. He works for seven years for her dad. And at the last minute, dad plays a little switcheroo on him and moves in her sister Leah, so he ends up marrying Leah instead of Rachel. Now let's talk a little bit about names because names have meaning in the Old Testament. So in that culture, the name Rachel meant precious lamb. That makes sense. You know, she was hot. Her sister, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Her sister in that culture, her name Leah meant tired cow. (laughs) Thanks, mom and dad, right? Um, So you might surmise from that that she was not a particularly attractive woman, but you don't have to guess. The scripture tells us she was ugly. Her sister was very good looking and she was ugly. And Jacob had no interest in Leah. Now he's married to a woman that has not been on his radar screen. And so now he makes another bargain with the dad to marry Rachel. He's going to work for seven more years, but he gets to marry her right away. So now there is the wife in this marriage that he does not care for and the wife that he loves more than anything else. And the wife that he does not care for starts having babies and the wife that he loves more than anything cannot have babies. And this creates a whole new problem because in that culture, 
People thought that whether or not a woman could have children was a sign of her worth. God never said that, and that's not true, but people thought that at the time. And so Rachel was really burdened and, and hurt by the fact that she couldn't have children and her sister had, was having children. So she decided to have her maid marry her husband as well so that if her maid could have children, she could put some points up on the scoreboard. Does this start to sound dysfunctional to you? It sounds dysfunctional to me. So they do that. The maid starts to have children. Meanwhile, uh, Leah stops having children and now she's worried that she's going to lose. So she talks her maid and her husband into getting married so that her maid can have some children so she can put points back up on the scoreboard. Meanwhile, Rachel actually is able to have children. So you have all of these boys being born into this family. You have four mamas. Everybody's in competition with each other. Jacob is a moron anyway that he even got into this problem. And in the middle of all of this, you have, he's playing favorites with his wives and he's playing favorites with his kiddos. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a family where people played favorites, but it is it is acidic. It eats away at the nature and the core and the structure of a family. And so this was a major problem. So Joseph is born into this. Joseph is a son of the favored wife. He's a son of Rachel. Immediately, he's dad's favorite. As dad holds Joseph in his arms after he's born, he's like, this kid, this kid is going to have the best of everything. This kid is more, more important to me than any of my other boys. This kid is it. And so his whole growing up time, the rest of the sons, are, they, they completely understand. Dad is okay with them, but he loves Joseph, and it creates all kinds of of problems. We're going to kind of pick up in the story there. The Bible says, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. There's some great names for you. Um, and I want you to notice that he's working for his half-brothers at this point. Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. They were a hot mess. And Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. And Bible scholars love to argue about what this robe was like. I mean, in the KJV, it said that it was a coat of many colors, and a lot of us have kind of had that impression. Some Bible scholars say, no, that's not what it meant. It meant a fancy robe. All of that is, is, is irrelevant. The important thing about it is that in that culture, the garment that you had indicated your position in the family hierarchy. So to give Joseph this fancy coat took him from working for his half-brothers to meaning that his half-brothers now work for him. So I want you to think about what kind of position Joseph has been put in. He is barely an adult. His brothers are older than him. His brothers feel like they've paid their dues. They've worked their way up through a family where their dad doesn't have much use for them. Suddenly, the golden boy, the favored child comes out and he might as well have been wearing a massive name tag that says general manager. That does not play well, right? So here's the next thing. The, the brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. I mean, for one thing, again, they weren't men of great character. But on top of all that, the situation was just terrible. So they couldn't say a kind word to him. I don't know if you've ever been in a family where the dysfunction is so strong that there is not that warm familial love that should be there. But Joseph was in a family where that warmth, where that compassion, where that familial love and everybody's got each other's back, that was not there. So if you grew up in a home where you didn't have that, you and Joseph you would connect on that level because he did not have that. One night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. He said, listen to my dream. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. 
I don't think that was destined to play very well. The thing about it is, at the time, the scripture wasn't available. God would communicate to people through dreams, and Joseph put significance on this dream. I think he was right to do so. The thing that was interesting about this is that to everybody, the significance of the dream seemed to be that Joseph was saying he was going to be the leader of the family, which, by the way, does end up happening in the end. But I think there were different ideas about what leadership meant. And, and still, to this day, in our culture, we have different ideas about what leadership means. Some people think leadership is about the accolades, about people knowing who you are, it's about power, it's about being able to exercise that power. A real leader understands that it's about none of those things. Leadership is about being the first person to do the right thing, first of all. I have couples come in my office and want to know, what is it, you know, the scripture says a man's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that the, he's supposed to be the first person to do the right thing. Because you don't follow somebody who's doing the wrong thing and end up in a good situation. And by the way, I think that's the other bit. I think Joseph understood that there was incredible responsibility associated with leadership. I'm not just responsible for my own direction in life. I'm responsible for the direction in life of the people that are following me. Because where they follow me to, that is my responsibility. So I think Joseph understood the heaviness of it. And I think he was trying to communicate, I think God has called me to be a leader. And I think to him that was a thing about responsibility. But to them it was a thing about, oh, here's one more power trip that our little brother is on. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Now here's what I think Joseph was trying to say. When Joseph was talking about his dreams, I think Joseph was trying to say, God has called me to be a leader and that's who I'm going to be. I don't think it was a power trip. I think he was just putting into words and expressing that he believed that God had called him to be a leader. But his brothers didn't take very well to that. And they continued to just sort of allow that anger. I don't know if you've known somebody who started out with anger, but they started to let it kind of simmer like in a crock pot. And it just got, it got more heated and, and they sort of stewed in their own anger. And I don't know if you know this, but if you put people that are simultaneously having that same problem together, their anger will start to network and eventually their anger will become greater than the sum of its parts. And that's what happened with his brothers. They are sitting there in the field doing their thing. They see Joseph a long way off. He's headed toward them and they're talking about him and they're all already angry. And now their anger is starting to network and it starts to be something that's out of control. And they start to talk about something that makes no sense at all. They start to talk about about killing their brother. Now, if your siblings plot to kill you, you know, that's a bad day. I mean, that's, that's a problem. And so they've pretty much decided this is what they're going to do. And when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe. That was order number one. Get that thing off of him. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern and it was empty. There wasn't any water in it. And just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, now Judah, this is sweet, this is really sweet, because Judah's going to have a moment of conscience here. What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd only have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. You see the dysfunction? I mean, the guy's our brother. We should sell him, not kill him. That makes so much more sense. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. I don't know who I'm talking to in this room. But there's somebody in here today that it is clear to you who God has called you to be. You are aware of the kind of person that God has called you to be. 
And as long as your situation had remained static, you think you would have gotten there. But your situation has changed, and now you don't think you can be that anymore. Something has gone wrong, and now you don't think you can be who God has called you to be. What's the message the brothers are trying to send him? You don't have your coat anymore, so you're not a leader. See, some people confuse the symbols of who you are with who you are. It was like, well, we took that coat away, so now that we've taken that coat away, then he can't possibly be a leader. Because in their mind, leadership was about the emblem. It was about the symbol. We take away the symbol, then you don't have the identity anymore. And don't think for a moment that it wasn't painful for Joseph to lose that gift. But the thing about it was, Joseph was very clear that being a leader didn't have anything to do with the garb. It had to do with the God that gave him the call to be the leader. The second thing is, they're saying, you don't have your dad to treat you like a favorite anymore, so you're not a leader. They took him away from his dad. I don't know who I'm talking to in the room, but I'm talking to somebody who has lost a serious relationship, and part of your identity felt as though it was wrapped up in that relationship, and as soon as you lost that relationship, you don't think you can be who you were supposed to be anymore. Maybe I'm talking to somebody who's been through a painful divorce. And for you, part of your identity was wrapped up in that marriage. That marriage fell apart. And at that moment, your identity began to fall apart. You don't know who you are anymore. I, my, my wife and I lead grief share. And we talk all the time to people who've lost a loved one. It could be that somebody who's very close to you passed away. And a part of your identity seemed to be wrapped up in that person. And when you saw them in the casket and you had the funeral, it was like part of your identity had fallen apart. And you're not sure whether you can be who you believe you were supposed to be anymore. And the third message is, you don't have your freedom anymore, so you're not a leader. It's almost as though by selling the brother and getting him in handcuffs, him headed off to Egypt, it was like a barrier had been put up between him and his destiny. Get over that. I wonder who I'm talking to that you had a clear idea of your destiny and you used to see a clear path to it. Like you knew how you were going to get from here to where it was that you think you were supposed to go. But now there's a barrier in between you and what your destiny is. And you are absolutely convinced I can no longer get there from here because of this barrier that is in my way. So we would excuse Joseph, would we not, for backing off of the idea that he is supposed to be a leader. He doesn't have the garb anymore. He doesn't have his dad anymore. He doesn't have his freedom. He's headed to Egypt. He was the favored son. Now he is considered property. These slave traders are gonna treat him like property and they're gonna sell him to somebody else who's gonna treat him like property. He's going to Egypt, which is a place that he's never been before. He does not speak the language. They do not have any respect for his people group. He does not know the culture or the customs there. He's starting from scratch. He was the fair-haired boy in a family where he was set up to be successful, a well wealthy Israelite family. Now he is as low down on the social totem pole as you can possibly get. He has to start completely over. Would we not forgive him for assuming at this point he has had now a change of destiny? He's not going to be a leader anymore. Maybe he was just wrong in the first place. The Bible tells us when he gets to Egypt, he gets sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was a high up guy in the military in Egypt. And it was in Potiphar's home that Joseph was assigned to work. So the Bible tells us the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success. That's what we talked about, exceptional success and exceptionally difficult situation in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar. So, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge. You see? 
He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph, this is this blows my mind, complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. You don't have your coat anymore, you're not a leader. You don't have your dad anymore, you're not a leader. You don't have your freedom anymore, you're not a leader. And yet we get this message loud and clear from Joseph, God has called me to be a leader and that's what I'm gonna be. Whether I'm at home in Israel with my dad or whether I'm in this weird new place that I don't really have my bearings, if God has called me to be a leader, I'm not gonna let the situation get in my way. I'm gonna be what God has called me to be And by the way, there's a principle here, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but there's a principle here. If we want a promotion, we've got to show God that we have the character that is necessary for the promotion that we want God to give us. See, the thing about it is, I don't think Joseph thought he would be in Potiphar's house forever. I think Joseph understood his brothers got him there, but God could get him out. But I think he understood that if I'm going to ask God for a promotion, I'm going to have to demonstrate to God that I have the character for the promotion before I get promoted. Remember how they used to tell you to dress for the job you want? We have to have the character for the promotion that we're asking God for because it does not work. God understands human nature. He understands that if he promotes you, you will not instantly get the character that you need for that promotion in the moment that you get the promotion. You're gonna have to have the character you need for the promotion before you get the promotion. And so Joseph was saying, if God has called me to be a leader, I'm gonna demonstrate the leader character even when I'm in a situation where people don't expect me to lead. I'm talking to somebody, you're working in a position that you're like, you know, nobody expects me to be excellent at this job. This is just a making it through job. This is just a busy work job. Nobody that I work around is excellent at this job. We're all just punching a clock and doing what we do. It may be that nobody expects you to be excellent, but if you want the promotion, if you want God to promote you to the next level, you're going to have to be the very best at what you do. And you're going to have to bring the character to that job that is going to be required for the next job that God opens up for you. Joseph said, God's called me to be a leader. That's what I'm going to be. You'd think that that would be the end of Joseph's troubles, but it wasn't. The Bible says that Joseph was also hot. I, I figured out yesterday, it's probably because he had a hot mom. You know, I, started, I started to process it, right? It's like a <laughs> genetic thing, right? You know, he had a hot mom. So Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was good looking. And she started to think, she already thought of Joseph as property, so she started to think that this was a, a great little dalliance. She could do something with him and, and get into a little affair on the side with him. And, and so she started to try to, to get him into that idea. Now, by the way, he does three things that we should always do with sexual sin, and maybe we'll get into this later in part of the series, I don't know, but three things that Joseph did. And if you're struggling with sexual temptation, these are three good things to mark down. The first thing is he said no. So there was a point in time where she literally asked him and he said no. The second thing is he stayed away. The scripture says that every time he could avoid her, he did. So he avoided contact with her whenever he could. And then the third thing is, if you have to run, run. There was a point at which Potiphar's wife literally reached out and grabbed him at a time when nobody else was in the house. And he literally ran for his integrity. And she ended up with his garment in her hand. If you have to run, you run. You say no, you stay away, and you run if you have to. 
Now she's got his garment in her hand. She's embarrassed. She starts to tell everybody that Joseph tried to rape her. She tells the story to Potiphar when Potiphar comes home. And the scripture says that when Potiphar heard his wife's story, he was furious about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. I don't think Potiphar believed his wife. And here's why I think he didn't believe her. First thing is, I think he had been around Joseph long enough to know, and Joseph, he'd been around as Joseph and he'd been around his wife. I think he understood who was trustworthy and who wasn't. But I think beyond all of that, what he did about it shows us that he didn't believe. Because here's the deal, Joseph was not even an Egyptian. He, was, he had been purchased as a servant. What do you think, as a high up military man, Potiphar would have done if he really believed that Joseph had done this to his wife? I think he would have put Joseph's lights out like that. But I don't think he believed it. But I think he had to do something about it because his wife's been telling everybody in the world about this. So I think he had, to, he had to do something. So what he did was he put him in the king's prison. That is also interesting. That was not the common prison. This was the king's prison. This was a prison for diplomatic prisoners. This was a minimum security prison. And we think that Potiphar actually was the boss of the boss of the boss of the person who was in charge of that prison. Honestly, I personally think that Potiphar was grieving over the fact that he lost an incredible manager of his home and thought, well, if I have to say goodbye to him, I'm gonna at least put him somewhere where it's still gonna pay off for me. I'm gonna put him somewhere where I'm managing that division. Puts him in the king's prison. But once again, we could forgive Joseph, could we not, for finally giving up on his destiny. I mean, he tried to be a leader at home. That didn't work out for him. He tried to be a leader in Potiphar's house and he had been lied on and been mistreated. That didn't work for him. There's that message. No one leads from prison. I mean, you're done. This is it. This is over. I mean, he literally would have stayed there for the rest of his life. Now you're gonna learn as we spend the rest of our time in this series that eventually God will basically grab Joseph by the collar and pull him out of that prison and open up doors to make Joseph the most powerful man in the world. By the time we're done with this story, Joseph is going to be overseeing all of Egypt, which was the most advanced nation in the world at the time. Joseph literally will become the most powerful leader in the world ever. It's not surprising then if you think about it that as a teenager, God was preparing him for the fact that he would be a leader. But we could at least, in the compassion of our hearts, say, yeah, it would make sense if he gave up on being a leader at this point. But check out, the scripture says, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison, showed him his faithful love, and the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. What is Joseph saying? Joseph is saying, God has called me to be a leader and that's what I'm gonna be. Whether I'm at home, whether I'm in Potiphar's house, whether I'm in prison, and here's the thing too. I can't prove this, but I believe this is true. I believe that Joseph led with the same integrity and the same intensity in the prison as he would when he became the ruler of all Egypt. Because I think you get Joseph's A game regardless of the situation. I'm wondering, what is the situation that is kicking us around to the point that we are no longer bringing our A-game? What is the situation that we're dealing with that has so deflated our spirit that we no longer feel like we can be who we are called to be? And Joseph is leading, leading the way with an example that says, even when I'm deflated, even when I'm going through a difficult time, I can still be who God has called me to be. Here's the key, first key to going pro. Most people let the situation determine who they're going to be. I, it's interesting. I, was, I didn't tell this illustration either the other two messages, but I went to Dylan's the other night and um, was walking through the aisle 
And uh, there was this lady who was barking at her child, just yelling and screaming and really kind of losing it. And I thought to myself, this is probably an exception for this person. This is probably not how this person normally is. But the situation seems so powerful that it is changing who she is. And the thing about it is, if we allow situations to be so powerful that they change who we are, it won't just be embarrassing and it won't just be difficult. It will impact the people around us and it will impact our potential for success. Some of us, if we had been in Joseph's shoes, as soon as that plot happened and the brothers threw us in the cistern, we would eventually, we would immediately take the role of the victim. All right, I'm a victim. Then we'd be hauled off to Egypt. We'd well, I'm playing the role of a slave now. Then we'd end up in Potiphar's house. All right, well, I'm playing the role of a servant. And then eventually we'd be lied on. I'm back to the role of the victim. Interestingly enough, Joseph said, no, you're not gonna, life isn't gonna jerk me around by the collar like that. I'm not gonna let it do it. I'm gonna be who I am regardless of the situation. And I'm gonna have to do a lot less work that way because I can just be who I am instead of letting myself change every time something happens to me. Pros let their situation demonstrate who they are. I like cilantro a lot. I know y'all are thinking, now how are you going to work that in? I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Um, and I guess for some of y'all, I guess there's a certain subset of the population for whom cilantro smells like soap. That's so sad, you know? Because cilantro smells really amazing. But you know how it is that when you, when you buy cilantro in the store, you can kind of smell it but if you take that same cilantro home and you put it in a mortar and pestle and you grind it, suddenly the smell is apparent all over your house, especially all through the kitchen. It's, it's like the smell is so powerful. And Joseph is saying, that's the kind of person that I want to be. If I'm under pressure, if I'm under the grind of life, that's when I want who I really am to be the most apparent. I want the situation to demonstrate who I am. I'm not going to let it tell me who to be. I want who I am to suddenly become incredibly apparent because the situation is bringing it out of me that this is who I really am. Earlier I said these things are labels. These things are choices, not labels. Some of us need to make a choice. We're under pressure right now, and that pressure is going to make whoever we choose to be extremely apparent. And we need to say, of all times, that I should ever make a choice to be who God has called me to be. It should be now, because I'm under pressure right now. I'm feeling the grind right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in that mortar and pestle being pushed on right now. So if ever there was a time to make the choice to be the right kind of person, it's right now because it's going to be so much more apparent in the middle of this difficult situation than it would be if I wasn't under this kind of pressure. Because Joseph was in a tight spot and we are able to see what kind of person he is, I took that list, remember, of all those different personality traits, and I just tried to pick the ones that are most apparent about Joseph. So... We have blameless, bringer of blessing, diligent, discerning, excellent, fair, faithful, good, gracious, hardworking, intelligent, a learner, meek, one who exercises restraint, one who guards their soul, one who guards their way of life, one who loves instruction, one who loves purity of heart, one who plans peace, one who reveres God's commands, one who rules their spirit, one who sows righteousness, one who speaks the truth, one who trusts in the Lord, one who walks with the wise, one with integrity, one with understanding, prudent, righteous, skillful, slow to anger, steadfast, trustworthy, upright, wise. <clears throat> Unless the Lord comes back between, you know, and the rest of my lifetime, at some point I'm going to die. 
death statistics, they remain relatively unchanged. About one out of every one seems to die. So I feel like that's likely to happen to me. And they'll put me in one of those weird looking boxes, you know, people come file by and say, oh, doesn't he look lifelike? They lie, you know. (laughs) You have my permission to tell the person in front of you and the person behind you, he looks dead to me, he looks dead. (laughs) I guarantee you, if somebody who gets up to give a eulogy can say this about me, I will have been a success. I will have lived a successful life even in the middle of extraordinarily challenging circumstances. It was an old pizza commercial that used to say, what do you want on your tombstone? But seriously, what do you want people to be able to say about you? It's a choice, it's not a label, it's a choice. So the question is, Who are you? Who are you going to choose to be? There's a verse in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 that says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And in the scripture, when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about that muscle that pumps blood through your body. We're talking about who you are at the deepest level, what we've been talking about this whole time. Who are you? That's your heart, the person that you are deep down. The Bible says you should guard that because it determines where you're going in life brought a couple of documents here with me. First one here is my birth certificate. Not a copy, my birth certificate. The other one is my passport. Now some of y'all in this room that are very detail-oriented, very analytical, right, are very uncomfortable, like your spirit is starting to chafe right now. How could Jonathan, how could you bring those both here? Like, what would happen if you lost one? Like, that would be terrible. Like, and you shouldn't even have both of them in the same place. Like, you should have one in a lockbox in one building and one in a lockbox in another building in case something happened to it, right? And that pushback that you feel in your spirit is the same kind of advice. Jonathan, guard your passport. I mean, guard your birth certificate. Those things are important. I mean, your your birth certificate qualifies you to do things that you wouldn't be qualified to do if you can't find it. And your passport qualifies you to go places that you couldn't go if you couldn't find it. Guard those things. They determine where you're headed. Somebody were to come up to me after preaching this sermon and say, Jonathan, can I have your birth certificate? Guess what I'm going to say? No. I'm not stupid. I'm give you my birth certificate. But how many times do we let somebody come up and take our identity away from us? Because they tell us that you're not a leader, just like Joseph's brothers did, or you're not this, or you're not that, or a situation happens, and it's like, you're not this, or you're not that, you can't be that. That's never gonna work out for you. You're not qualified for that. You don't have the pedigree, you don't have the resources for that. That's not possible, you can't do that. And what does God say? Make sure you don't let them take that away from you. Guard that. When I get home today, these go back under lock and key like they have been before. You know why? Because I'm not gonna let anybody mess with them. Because these are important to me. And what is God saying? Don't let anybody mess with who you are. Because it determines where you're going. It's the first step to going pro. Father, thank you so much for your love and the fact that you've given us the start to talking about how we can live exceptionally successful lives, even in exceptionally difficult circumstances. Now, Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now who is not clear about their relationship with you. I pray that you would tug on their heart in this moment before we're done. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. We talk about wisdom. The most wise thing anybody can ever do is make sure that their relationship with God is settled. 
But I think sometimes people are just worried. I don't know how God feels about me right now. And I I also don't know whether or not God would accept me the way that I am. Do you know the scripture says that the most important thing to God is that he can have a relationship with you. And the fact that he sent his son to die on the cross means that he has done everything for you that he possibly can except for say yes, because he can't do that for you. And that's all that remains. So if you want to start the series on going pro, not just by thinking about how to live a wise life, but by how to have a relationship with God. We could start that right now. I'm going to say the words to a real simple prayer. Calls out to God. I'm going to say it in little snippets so you can really decide whether or not this is something you want to tell God. You don't have to say this out loud. You can say this silently in your heart to God, and it'll be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died and came back to life for me. I know that I do wrong things. I understand that I can't save myself. Today I ask for your free gift of heaven and forgiveness. I believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look this way for just a moment. If you just prayed that prayer, you just made the biggest decision in your life, we want to help get you started in your new walk with God. If you will text PRAYED to 97000, and then head out to any of our guest services centers. We want to make sure to give you this box with some wonderful stuff in it. Start your new relationship with God. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week for Going Pro. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.